When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome, folks. We are in game week. We are ready for the season opener. Michigan is traveling to South Bend, Indiana to play Notre Dame. This is going to be a great matchup. We're going to break it down a little bit today. We're going to talk to Mike Tirico, but 40 years ago. Hi, everybody. Today, the Michigan Football Network has moved its microphones to one of the hotbeds of intercollegiate football, South Bend, Indiana, and we're right on the edge of the hole that Newt Rockney planned, dug, and built and paid for as he started Notre Dame out on their glorious football pilgrimage with his fantastic football teams of the roaring golden 1920s. Yes, sir, Newt Rockney and Notre Dame are synonymous with football. And today, the Fighting Irish put it all on the line. For the first time in 35 years against a team that has beaten Notre Dame nine times in the 11 games played between these two great institutions. And who's the other school? You know cotton picking well who I mean. The team with the winningest tradition in the history of Big Ten football. The team with the winningest tradition in the history of Big Ten athletics. The team with the largest collegiate-owned football stadium in the world and the only university in the entire nation that ranks among the top ten schools in academics as well as in football over the past ten years. That's right, the one and only University of Michigan. Michigan won that day, and today we're going to break down and preview how we think Michigan can come away with a win this Saturday in South Bend. I'm John Jansen, and this is In the Trenches. Let's go in the trenches with John Jansen. The former Wolverines captain and Michigan Sports Hall of Famer will take you inside the locker room with players and coaches. It just feels like you're really playing under a big spotlight. Playing at Notre Dame is is definitely no joke. There's no distractions. There's no cell phones. There's no girlfriends. There's no class. There's no mommy and daddies to tuck you in at night. Both schools are measured only by championship success. You're getting me excited now. I'm going to have to, I'll stand up here in a minute. Once again, here's John Jansen. 
We've got a lot to get to today. Our show is jam-packed. But first, I want to thank our presenting sponsor, Family Heating, Cooling, and Electrical. Our friends at Family Heating, Cooling, and Electrical have been serving Southeast Michigan for more than 50 years. They have three locations, Garden City, White Lake, and Madison Heights. George Klempert and his experienced staff of professionals work with each and every client to provide the best service possible. The thing I like most about Family Heating, Cooling, and Electrical is that they have done thousands of service calls and hundreds of installations over the years. And they use that knowledge to recommend the brand that works best for your home. They won't sell you something you don't want or you don't need. Like I said, they have three locations to serve you. Check out their website, familyheating.com, or give them a call at 734-422-8080. Family Heating, Cooling, and Electrical Family is not just their name, it's how they do business. And tell them, John Jansen sent you. Four years ago, we sat here and we talked about how disappointed we were that this rivalry was going away. And you can call it a rivalry or not, it doesn't matter. It is two of the greatest programs in college football. And when I think about this, I start to think about all the great moments that we've had in this great game. You want to hear some of those, John? Oh, Brian, I would I, I would love to. Okay. Uh, 2009 was a pretty good one, wasn't it? Second and goal from the five. Ball left hash. Force to throw. Blitz coming. Fires left side. Touchdown! Greg Matthews has got it for the score. With 11 seconds left, Michigan has the lead. Oh, you hear that song in the background? Oh, that sounded great. <laughs> oh, man. Frank Beckman always gets me excited. When I hear a last-second score, especially in this game, and we've got Brian, you got you got the 2010, maybe 2011 of, uh, of, with Denard. Good things coming three, John. 2010 in the shotgun. Oh, Denard has Vincent Smith to his left. Gets the snap, running left behind Vincent. Cuts it upfield and into the end zone. Touchdown, Michigan. Denard Robinson with 27 seconds to go regains the lead for the Wolverines, 27 to 24. How do you like that? How do you like that, John? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I tell you what, I've got a couple of my favorites. One, Remy Hamilton kicking the game-winning field goal. But Roy Roundtree, who is now on staff with Michigan, has probably one of the most iconic touchdowns in this rivalry's history. Last second, first night game. We're playing at night again this year. I hope we get another one of these. Denard back to throw from the 16. Got to throw it in a hurry. Lobs it up in the end zone around tree. He adjusted the ball. He's interfered with. He makes the catch. Touchdown, Michigan, with two seconds to play. Did you see on Michigan's athletic Twitter uh, the the breakdown they had Denard and, and Roy Roundtree look at that play and, and go through what they were thinking about Remember, that drive started with an incomplete pass. It did. And, and you know, the, the beautiful thing about the incomplete pass is that the clock stopped and saved them probably those, those extra seconds they needed to get this play off. But, you know, we, we took the lead with, I don't know, was it uh, 45 seconds or so left in the game? And then Notre Dame came down and scored right away. And, you know, I, I remember the emotion of that game. Everybody is... So excited that we took the lead and thought, nah, there's no way that Notre Dame could come back. Then they do and they score. And then Michigan comes down and we hit Roy in the corner of the end zone. What an unbelievable moment. I was sitting in my car listening to Frank and, and Brandy talk about that, that play 
And it was one of the most amazing moments that uh, not only in the history of this game, but in the history of Michigan football. Speaking of historical moments and, and seasons for Michigan football, 1997, your first opportunity to suit up and play against Notre Dame, Michigan 21, Notre Dame 14. What do you remember about that game, this rivalry, being able to suit up and play in it? I remember so much about that game and and the thing that I remember and and actually I've compared it to this year's team in that our defense was so dominant. I mean that that was that game obviously was in Michigan Stadium, but we turned the ball over 3 times in the second half. We did as an offense almost everything you could possibly do to keep Notre Dame in the game. And our defense was so stingy. They just they they said there is absolutely no way we are losing this game. They kept giving us the ball back, and we were finally able to, to close it out with a big win. But um, I, 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 very comparable to this year's football team in that they've got a young offensive line, as did we. New quarterback, as do we right now. Great defense. And this defense, I, I, I would argue it, it is going to be very comparable to that 97 defense. And, and I'm excited, very excited to see what we find out about our team on Saturday night. Well, that brings us to a new segment we're going to have here on In the Trenches. Seven from 77. Seven quick-hitting thoughts, questions from our number 77, John Jansen. The matchup that you are most fixated on leading into Saturday, Michigan and Notre Dame, what's the one matchup that you think is key going into this one? I think, you know, if if we're going to stay in this game early and, and give ourselves the best chance, it's going to be the, our defensive line matching up against their young offensive line. And there's a chance that they're not only going to have one new tackle on the left side, but they may have two. They're, they're, they're talking about an injury down there on the right tackle position. They may have to move a guard out to tackle. And all of a sudden now, when you graduate two guys that are top 10 picks in the NFL and you've got – that whole left side is gone. Now all of a sudden you have to shuffle around a couple of guys on the right side of the offensive line. It's not, it's not a comfortable position for a quarterback, an offensive line coach, or a head coach to be in. And I, when I look at our defensive line, say Chase Winovich, uh, Rashawn Gary, uh, Michael Dwumfor, uh, Aubrey Solomon, and the host of other guys that we're going to see in there, I think that gives us a great opportunity to to set a you know make a statement early set the tone of what this Michigan football team is going to be and then the offense is going to is going to breed off of of exactly what they see that energy that excitement that dominance number two John Tariq Black's injury the injury to the right foot how does that wide receiver room that depth chart look now well you know a lot of guys got a lot of experience last year for the exact reason they're going to get more experience this year Tariq Black got got hurt in the third game last year. Fortunately for Tariq this year, it happened a month earlier. So from what I understand, it's a very similar injury. Hopefully he can get him back by the end of the football season. But you've got Donovan Peoples-Jones. He is now a sophomore. There's got to be a learning curve. We need to see some improvement from him, and I think we will. Uh, Nate Shanley, who is a very sure-handed walk-on wide receiver that is going to make a big impact in this team, senior Grant Perry. And then the guy that I want everybody to keep an eye on, Nico Collins, number four, 6'4", 220, long-arm guy, can move and get downfield, very good hands. I'm excited to see what he can do this year, and he's going to get a lot of opportunity because – Shea Patterson is going to be throwing that ball around. We've got some tight ends he can throw it to, but we're going to have to stretch the field. And those guys, that wide receiver position, I'm very excited, even though Tariq is out, to see what they can do. Here's Coach Harbaugh on the situation. I like the way our receivers have been 
coming along. It's been a it's been a good camp. They've really they've come so far in, in training camp and uh, spring practice. Coach McElwain's done a fabulous job, and so has Roy and uh, everybody that's been working on the offenses has uh, done some really really good things for our wide receiver position in terms of um, and they've done a great job learning and and working hard every day to to improve. I've seen real tangible improvement from our uh, entire receiver group. I know externally, John, that's a huge question. Where is this wide receiver group? You've been able to see them up close and personal in training camp. The talents there, can that translate to the field? Well, it has to, and I think it will. What I've seen in practice from all those guys that I mentioned, I've seen the ability to get off the line of scrimmage in press man coverage. I've seen them read defenses the way they're supposed to, uh, sit down in zone coverage, run through man coverage. They've, they've done everything that they can do to prepare themselves for September 1. And I, I've, there's nothing in my mind that says they won't go out there and prove that. And I'm excited that uh, these young men are going to have that opportunity. Number three in our new segment, 7 from 77, uh, there's a new quarterback in town, Shea Patterson. You, you heard of this, John? You know about this story? <laughs> There's been a rumor. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the the expectation is that he's going to throw for 405 touchdowns and Michigan's going to put up 60. Give us a fair expectation from Shea Patterson week one in South Bend. Well, I, I think that for, for Shea going into this, especially with the new receiving core um, that he's going to be working with, if, if we can get two touchdowns uh, in the air, uh, I would not be surprised to see one on the ground from him. He's a very mobile guy uh, and makes good decisions when to tuck it and run it, when to throw it away, and when to, when to launch one to his receiver. So I think two through the air, one on the ground, and, and I would expect him to throw for over 300 yards uh, in this game. So it'll be a great opportunity for him. And a lot of people are talking about him for the Heisman. I think that's unrealistic right now. This is, again... It's a new school for him. It's a new offense. It's all new relationships. Uh, I'm not going to put that pressure on him now. I know he has a lot of talent, but I think if we're being realistic, I think we got to make sure that we're realistic in the numbers and, and our expectations of Shea Patterson. Earlier this week, Zach Gentry set kind of his goal for the offense. Is this a fair expectation to want from Shea Patterson in this offense? First of all, one thing that I just want to see is um, our offense working like a cohesive unit you know putting together some long drives and, and finishing you know I want to see us you know finish in the fourth quarter finish the game strong and um, you know and I'd like to you know I just it'd be nice last year we kind of we hit some speed bumps you know throughout the game so you know finish finish an entire game you know feel good about it feel confident not turn the ball over. Shea Patterson can fix that can he? Well, he can, and, and when I watch Shea at practice and I watch the receiving team, uh, and I include the tight ends in that, as well as the running backs, there's a lot of times after a play, he goes over and he talks to the receivers, talks to the tight ends, talks to the backs, and lets them know how he saw things. He wants to know what they saw, why they made a certain read, and that all is going to show uh, on Saturday night when they get on the field. And when, he, when, when Shea Patterson has a chance to get in the red zone, I mean, just think about his opportunities. If you got receivers out there, you got six four and Nico Collins, you got six three and Donovan Peoples Jones. Uh, again, Nate Shanley six three. Then you go to the tight ends: uh, Nick Eubanks six five, Zach Gentry six eight, Sean McCune six five. You have unbelievable opportunity and targets to finish when you get in the red zone now. And and these guys, 
I, I'm, I'm, I can't wait for us to get there because that's where we really struggled last year is to punch it in. We had, you know, uh, a, a great field goal kicker, but we want to get six. And when you get in the red zone, you have to have big targets. You have to guy, have guys that will go up and get the football, and we have that. And we've got a guy that can deliver that ball to him now as well. I like that. The question to number three was get six. Okay, perfect. Number four, <laughs> uh, unit you think is most improved last year to this year? Well, that's a tough question. Uh, last year to this year, um, you know, I'd probably have to say our offensive line. But that's probably the biggest question mark that everybody has. Now that we know who the starting quarterback is going to be, everybody wants to know, can we now protect him? And Cesar Ruiz moving to center. Um, he is a natural center. He's a guy that, that feels comfortable at that position, does a great job communicating and getting both sides on the same page. Uh, ben Bredesen had a great offseason, bigger, stronger. Uh, and, and then when you start talking about our tackles and you look at John Runyon Jr., Jr. you look at um, James Hudson, you look at Jawan Bushel-Beatty and some of the other young guys that have gotten reps in there, I am very comfortable with the fact that they're going to be in the right place at the right time in the right position to make a block. And I've been there. One of the things that I've learned and I've, and I've talked to these guys about is sometimes all you got to do is be a speed bump. And there's nothing wrong with just slowing a guy down just long enough for that porter, quarterback to get the ball out. Um, and, and these guys uh, are going to be more than just that, but I think we are very improved uh, in that area. And a lot of credit, a lot of credit to Ed Warner and the job that he has done coaching those guys up. Number five, the off-the-radar player, the guy that – people don't know a whole lot about who you expect to get more playing time than expected on Saturday and really take that and run with it. I, I think with the injury to Tariq Black, and I know we've talked about that receiver position, but the one guy that I have yet to mention is freshman Ronnie Bell. And he is he was a guy that wasn't highly recruited or, or widely recruited, I should say, because he was a basketball player. He's a football player and a great football player, but he, he wasn't a one-sport guy, so there, he, he wasn't going to all the, the camps that football players go to now, and he was just an athlete. And when I watch this kid and watch how he just naturally moves around the field and, and finds his way in the secondary, um, he's, got, he's got the special ability to find holes in defenses, sit down, make big plays, and he's got the speed to break away. So I'm, I think we're going to be talking about Ronnie Bell, whether it's in week one, week six, week 12, we're going to be talking about uh, a special football player. Transitioning from a freshman, John, to a fifth-year player, Chase Winovich, he was on the roster when Michigan went to South Bend in 2014. He had this to say earlier this week. Playing at Notre Dame is is definitely no joke. And just like from you know what I've gathered from like players that actually went because you know I was I was redshirt and so I didn't travel. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes into you know preparing for them and and those guys come to play, especially at home. So it's going to be you know a tough task to to roll into uh, South Bend and actually be able to. Uh, defeat them <laughs> and it's, it's going to be uh, you know a challenge that I, I think we're up for it's one thing to know about Notre Dame it's another thing to have prepped for the Irish even though it was four years ago so that brings us to number six John Michigan will win Saturday if if we win the line of scrimmage and when you look at any perennially successful team take a look at Alabama take a look at Clemson Take a look at, at those top programs, Georgia right now. 
they win because they win the line of scrimmage. And that's why when we talk about Tariq Black, we've got guys that can play that position. We've got guys that can play tight end. We've got guys that can play uh, running back. We've got guys that can play linebacker and, and defensive back and corner. But when you have a good offensive line and a great defensive line, you have a chance to win any game that you're in. And when you want to develop yourself into a program that can go into South Bend and win, that can go into East Lansing and win, that can go into Columbus and win, you hang your hat on the big fellas up front because that's where football games are won. And finishing off our inaugural edition of 7 from 77 uh, with a hard-hitting journalistic question for our esteemed host, John Jansen, leprechauns, thoughts? <laughs> leprechauns, real leprechauns, they, they kind of freak me out. Uh, I, get, I get worried about little people that I can't see all the time. All right, when my kids were little and they're running around the house, you know, I, I, I look around, I can't see them. They're running behind a counter or, or behind a couch or something, and, and you just you know they're sneaking up on you, uh, and you can't see them. So, so little bitty leprechauns kind of freak me out, especially the, the green kind. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the green color itself almost makes me nauseous to begin with, and you, you got some issues. I have some issues. You, you realize, John, what are you, you you're six, seven, right? <laughs> there, yeah. there are a yeah, lot. My world is at six, seven. Com- <laughs> compared to you, almost everyone is little. <laughs> yeah, but when you start talking about real, real little people, uh, that, uh, you know, and, and, and they can be sneaky. Now, you never know. They might sneak up behind you, you turn around, you don't know where they are, and all of a sudden they kick you in the shin or they kick you in the knee or something like that. And that's, uh, uh, they slide a chair in behind you, something like that. It's, it's, it, it's real. This is real now. This is a real fear. <laughs> On that note, uh, awkward transition to Mike Tirico. <laughs> yeah. Don't, uh, if Mike listens to this, Mike, I'm not calling you a little person, all right? Uh, compared to me, yes, you are, but no. Uh, please enjoy this conversation that I had with Mike Tirico. He's going to give us a little bit of a breakdown of what we're going to see at Notre Dame, um, he kind of goes through their roster a little bit, but uh, I'm not going to waste any more time telling you about it. Let's let Mike take over from here. Mike Tarico drops in to talk to us on In the Trenches. Uh, Mr. Tarico. Yeah, Mr. Tarico. Mr. Jansen, this this is kind of a good role reversal here. <laughs> it, it I, is. I think there have been parts of my life, production meetings, that I've interviewed you, and now you're interviewing me. This is a pure example that there's too much media in the world. There, there's no question, no question. And, and I actually, uh, I used that line with Coach uh, Carr. I oh. was talking to Coach Carr, and I said, hey, 25 years ago, when you're recruiting some kid from Clawson, Michigan, did you think that when you were retired that he was going to come back and try and interview you? And listening to his response and, and you know, the, the different things that people talk about when we're – we're all grown up. Exactly. Is exactly. It, it, the, the hilarity in it is not lost. It, well, first off, one of the greatest people in the world, Coach Carr, he and Lori, and he probably looked at you and said, well, and then he went into his answer, and I just, <laughs> yeah. I, so my, uh, my connection to the state of Michigan and the reason we've lived here for almost 20 years, my wife grew up downriver. Mm-hmm. So Lloyd Carr is a downriver legend. Uh, for the people who aren't listening from the local area here, just straight south of Detroit, Great people, salt of the earth, good heart, big soul, 
care about the people who are theirs. And uh, Coach Carr is a downriver guy, so uh, he knows that I married a, into a downriver family here in Michigan. And uh, that's always been our connection way before I lived here or mm-hmm. started doing this. And uh, to be around him over the years, you know, if you ask me for that list of who are your couple of dozen favorite coaches, any sport, all time, Lloyd Carr is always on that list, no matter how shorter along the list is one of the great people ever well having said that now i'm gonna put you on the spot yeah sure give me your best lloyd carr story oh man my best lloyd carr story uh you know i'm gonna go back to when chad henney started as a freshman so we did all of our meetings that week i I called the game on abc uh here in the big house and it was a week one it was kind of a surprise and not, not a lot of folks knew and we didn't find out till after we had met with Coach Carr. He didn't tip his hand. He kept kept it close to the vest, as is his prerogative and his want. And I remember seeing him later later down the line, and I said, uh, any surprises at quarterback this week? And he said, <laughs> you know we had to do that, right? And I said, no, <laughs> I totally know. But you just, you just had the opportunity just to tweak somebody just, yeah. just once. It just kind of gave you that little half look, half smile, half grin, yeah. half I'm serious, this is football. And uh, you know what it's all about. And uh, and then when we got done with the party, I said, "Now I'm sorry. I hope I didn't mislead you in any way." Just, which is yeah. him, him to a T. No, you didn't mislead me. You did the right thing, but uh, you had to poke the bear there a little bit every once in a while. Yeah, talking about poking <laughs> the bear. Now you, you you're you're on because one, you're you're a local guy here, and and I appreciate you stopping by. But you're also doing the Notre Dame yes. Michigan game, and because you're with NBC mm-hmm. doing the the Notre Dame broadcast. Have you done the same tweak to Jim Harbaugh? Who, who's the starting quarterback? I, I, I haven't haven't gotten him yet. I will that week, the week of the game here, as, as we get ready for it, for sure. You know, I worked 25 years at ESPN, yeah, and this is my third year at NBC. And at ESPN, I was a part of a lot of our college football stuff before the NFL thing began. I did 10 years of Monday Night Football. Uh, so when I came over to NBC, working in the studio, doing some Thursday night games, and we had them was great, but Notre Dame football – was our other football property. So it's been uh, an interesting experience. And every time you say you're from Ann Arbor, it's that same story. Oh, you're the Michigan-Notre Dame rivalry, all this stuff. In fact, the most conflicted for a game this year for me that I do will not be this game. Even though I've lived here for almost really? 20 years, Notre Dame plays Syracuse at the end of the year at Yankee Stadium. Syracuse is my alma mater, and I've been very involved in the school and made no um, secret about it for the last you know, sure. 30 years almost. Every, every, every football season since 1984, Syracuse University has been a part of my life, uh, and I'm on the board of trustees there. Uh, so, so there's the real conflict. Yeah. So this, this thing is nothing uh, compared to that. Here, here's what I've come to learn, appreciate, understand about Notre Dame, which maybe some of your listeners don't want to hear, but it's coming from a neutral voice. Uh, Incredible university. Mm -hmm. uh, Incredibly passionate about football's meaning on the campus and to the institution. Uh, Very proud of its incredible history, which has been at the foundation and the roots of the game uh, for three different centuries now, not decades, the 1800s, 1900s, and the 2000s here now. Um, And when you look at the stadium as it's been reconstructed, you can see the old bowl. Can you? And you can cut just, just the way you can sit here and look down, you could still see the bowl. You could still see where it was and where it grew and now where it's grown up into the sky. Yeah. Same thing at Notre Dame. And for as much as people in South Bend or people in Ann Arbor will never admit to it, <laughs> y'all are exactly alike. 
It's the same place. Those are fighting words. Well, and and on top of all that, both schools are measured only by championship success. Standards. And coming to the season with those those expectations Mm -hmm. and standards because of the legacy of the program. And anything other than that is great. It's good, but it's not enough. And that's rare to see. In this day and age of homogenous football where, you know, any one of 30 or 40 teams can rise up and try to battle the big boys every once in a while. And now the Midwestern schools are fighting to be permanent big boys again, the way Alabama is now and Georgia and those type of schools. So there's so much similarity between Michigan and Notre Dame. The two fan bases can't see it, but uh, as someone who... We put blinders on. Exactly. The, the outcome of the game will not change my life one way or the other. Right. I can see it, and I appreciate it. I think it's great. And when you go into a game like this, mm-hmm. where there's two storied programs, great right. history, as a fan, mm-hmm. you've got to have this excitement of of these two programs meeting and, yes. and, and what it means for this this football season, the, the, the opening of it. How do you control the excitement yeah. you have as a fan – versus the job you have to do as a broadcaster. Sure. I, I think part of it is conveying some of that joy mm-hmm. and excitement of being a fan of the sport and a fan of the fact that two of the great schools of all time are playing the opener. You know, you can you can go play other schools, and this is not disparaging at all. You can go play Alabama and Louisville down in Orlando or play you know, two other national high-profile teams at a neutral site uh, at Jerry World down in, uh, in Arlington, Texas. That, that's great. This is Michigan and Notre Dame on campus under the lights to start the season. Not the uh, shell game of, hey, we're going to try to sneak a, a Mac opponent in before right. and just kind of – this this is right out of the gate. Uh, we don't know if these teams are going to be really good this year or okay or great. But it mat- this game's result will impact and matter until that team breaks away at the end of the bowl season in all likelihood. So that that's fun for me. And – as as a fan, you get you get caught up in the excitement and the joy of a game. You just try to find that that balance. Now we always hear because we broadcast the Notre Dame home games on NBC. It's the Notre Dame Network. Well, that's fine. It's all well and good. I always tell people go back and watch the Georgia game last year. Go go, go watch when Georgia scores. Hey, we got to take our jabs whenever we oh, can. No, no, it's, oh, please, <laughs> Michigan fan. I'm, I'm so used to Michigan fans and their jabs. You go you go ask anybody. We we truly. Understand, I do. You know, we we are the we're the network of the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So so our uh, our understanding of um, where you draw the line of credibility is at a pretty high level. And uh, when Michigan scores, when Notre Dame scores, when Ball State scores against Notre Dame week two, when Syracuse does week uh, eleven of the season, you're calling the game for both teams. There's one national broadcast. People are watching. People, Michigan fans are listening. Notre Dame fans are listening. So you always match the moment. It's not who did it and why. So it's it's a lot of fun. I, I will say that uh, going to games like this and being a part of the big events um, is fun. And you never know when you're going to get it. I had BTN on uh, in the house a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And they re-aired the Michigan-Michigan State triple overtime, the, oh, yeah. the Braylon Edwards game, as I like to call it, yeah. that I was lucky enough to do, to, lucky enough to call. And uh, just going back and watching that game, that was just great. And if you're a Michigan State fan, you thought I was totally in the tank for Michigan until you watch like the second and third quarter where Michigan State is jumping out to a big lead. And then you think, <laughs> I'm, anti, I'm anti-Michigan at that point. I say, you know what? That's great. That's always what you want to do in our job. You want to anger 
or please 50% at the same time. And <laughs> You're like you an know, official. It, that's, ex- that's exactly right. <laughs> Do you hate me, then love me? And yeah. the other guy loves me, then hates that, that That's our job. And hopefully our fandom and the entertainment factor of uh, a great setting like that Saturday night in South Bend will come through in those calls. How do you think the night game changes the atmosphere? Are you are you for night games or is, yeah. is like me? I'm I'm a hey come on college football one noon o'clock, kickoff. Uh, let's one go. o'clock on Saturday. Let's go. Let's, <laughs> yeah. you know, let's do our little uh, egg central ca- time zone. We're at eleven. There you go. Let's, let's do go. that little egg casserole in the morning for tailgating. You know, maybe a Bloody Mary. Go to the game, back out to tailgate in the afternoon, yeah. cook some burgers, watch the other games. Yeah, I know. It's, you know, but the, the whole Shen Beckler era is still alive and well in all of you, and that's great. <laughs> I love night games. Yeah. Now, I'm a creature of habit because do, doing Monday night football sure. for 10 years and doing primetime games with the Sunday night crew, Thursday nights over the years, Thursday night college games. You know, John, there's, like, there's something magical about the lights on the helmets, and just that kind of shine, and it just feels like yeah. you're really playing under a big spotlight. You're always playing it. Look, you're, you're, getting, me, you're getting me excited <laughs> now. I'm going to have to, I'm, I'll stand up here in a minute. But you know but what I mean? Man. Think of that burgundy Redskins helmet. I know under the lights, it just shines a little ah. different. Think of, the, think of the gold, the perfectly painted, brand new Notre Dame helmets. The, the maize and blue winged helmet, the Michigan helmet, under the lights and that glistening thing. Yeah. Um, th- there is just something uh, about nighttime football. I think it's because you always know more people are watching at night. Uh, everyone's played their games in the afternoon. They're back home watching. You're the show. You, you, you are. Now, that doesn't mean that Ohio State, Michigan at noon, that Saturday after Thanksgiving isn't a big deal. Or 3.30 Auburn, Alabama that same Saturday. Or UCLA, USC, both wearing their colors in the Coliseum on a beautiful sunny day. Those are all real football games. But just night games to me have always been something special. And and you mentioned something great is two of the most recognizable helmets (laughs) in all of football. Yes. In in the winged helmet and the the gold helmets of, of Notre Dame. Give our fans just a little bit of a rundown of what you expect to see from Notre Dame sure. this year, yeah, having absolutely. followed them for three years. A- 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 absolutely. And, uh, you know, because you know you're going to do seven of their games, I kind of keep in touch with everything that goes sure. on with their program. Uh, a fabulous offensive line last year. Two first-round picks, and guys who I'm sure you uh, have seen and are impressive. Mike McGlinchey mm-hmm. was the tackle, Quentin Nelson the guard. And I don't mean to interrupt you, but oh, well. he is – Quentin Nelson was one of the best football players I've seen come out in a long time. Watching his highlight reel – was a thing of beauty. He has a scan pickup against uh, one of those oh. just unbelievable linebackers from Georgia. That is one of the and beautiful. You're, the, you're an offensive lineman. I'm I'm out of my league. I just know that all the offensive line guys that I've ever been around just love that. And I sent it to I sent the clip to John Gruden, my old Monday Night Football yeah. pal, now coaching the Raiders. And I said, Gruden, you got to see this. And you know, Quentin Nelson is a terrific guard. Uh, McGlinchey, uh, he had a couple of phenomenal. Uh, pass protection situations for the 49ers in their mm-hmm. preseason game week two. So they're losing the left side of their line, which is a big deal in college ball. But when you lose two top 15 first half of the draft picks next to each other on an offensive line, that's tough. So that's going to be their challenge. Now they have guys with experience and talent. Um, they played a couple of tackles over at the right tackle position. They alternated them last year. Mm -hmm. So you'll see those guys play. They also have Liam Eichenberg, who's been around for a while. Uh, They've got good players. Their center is their strength, Sam Mustafer, 53. Um, 
how they stand up against the Michigan defensive line, who the heck knows? This Michigan defense could be as good as we've seen, and that's saying something yeah, around here. No you, question. You know how you know how great you know, people listening here don't need to know, uh, you know, about the guys who are here. You you know how great this this group is, and the secondary all experienced as well, and young guys added to that. I mean, Michigan, it, it's almost like an embarrassment of riches. It's like an arc. There's like two of everything you know, on this Michigan defense. So. Yeah. Notre Dame's offense, second year of the new coordinator, or second year uh, of, of this coordinator, and um, Brian Kelly let go of the play calling last year. Um, it led them to, I think, a new generation of offense. It, it helped Brian, I think, as a head coach, mm-hmm. evolve a little bit. And uh, the, the quarterback, Brandon Wimbush, is an interesting story. Played a little bit his first year, didn't play his next year, so redshirted, uh, although they don't use that term. Um, was the starter last year and had great moments. He's a ter- tremendous running quarterback. He's not going to stand in the pocket and be Dan Marino. That's not his skill set. Uh, he can throw the ball. He can throw the ball effectively. When he sees the throw and feels it, he can he can make a nice play. Uh, so he's got a mix, that dual quarterback, which is always dangerous in a week one yes. against any team. Ian Book, their backup quarterback, came into the Citrus Bowl and won the game for them. More of a pocket passer, can run a little bit. Um, they have a young freshman, Jerkovic, from the Western Pennsylvania right. area who's got all the, the bio and the tools and everything else. But Wimbush, I mean, Brian Kelly has said Wimbush is the quarterback. He's the guy. But he, could, he can play both. Uh, their running back situation behind a rebuilt offensive line, they don't have Josh Adams who didn't get drafted but was as good a home run hitter as we saw in college football last year. Variety of backs, nobody who you would say is a Heisman contender. But all all good backs, as you would expect in a program right. like this. Evolution point for the wide receiving core, pretty good. Um, Chase Claypool and Miles Boykin, I think, are the two best of their wide receivers. It's 83 and 81, respectively. Tight ends are strong. They've got some excellent tight ends. Uh, Cole Komet, who was a freshman last year and is uh, a reliever on their baseball team and had, had some saves and can throw in you know, mid-'90s fastball with movement. Uh, excellent tight ends. Overall, their offense, I think, would be – uh, a unit that is good, has the questions of rebuilding the line, but uh, they'll be challenged, obviously, against this Michigan defense. And quick on the defensive side, I-, I think interesting story there. Mike Elko was their defensive coordinator last year, came in, turned the thing upside down. They became a turnover, pressure, aggressive defense. Mike got hired by Texas A&M, where mm-hmm. they're just printing money down there. So um, <laughs> Sure are, aren't they? Yeah, unbelievable. He went there, Clark Lee is their new defensive coordinator, was their linebacker coach. Systemically, they'll be similar, perhaps some tweaks. Um, but they lost some at the linebacker position too, didn't they? A little bit, but they're going to be good there. Uh, Tavon Coney, Drew Tranquil will play linebacker for them. Mm-hmm. They'll be good. They're guys up front. They roll roll some ends. They've got some experience and 50-year guys in the tackle positions. A uh, kid who played only briefly in high school here at Skyline High School in Ann Arbor, Dalen Hayes, uh, number nine. He only played a couple of games, injured his shoulder, was highly recruited. Michigan was in on him. State was in on him. USC was his original commit. He went to Notre Dame. Um, ex- excellent, uh, excellent player. The light has gone on. They've got four juniors who are really good rush guys. Their back end has gotten better. Their safety play wasn't good last year. Uh, one true freshman, one transfer from uh, Navy from from Hawaii who went to Navy mm-hmm. his first year, and uh, improved play at the corners, including Julian Love, twenty seven. I think their defense is the one unit that people won't talk about in this game because what do you want to see? Shea Patterson was the offense look like? Right. Don Brown's defense nuts off the charts. 
Notre Dame's offense, really good last year, high scoring. Can they replace the two guys? Notre Dame's defense, eh, nobody talks about it. Right. That's the unit, I think, that ends up deciding what kind of game we have on September 1st. Well, it, it, no matter what happens, it's going to be an exciting game. And when you look over the career that you've had, what has been – and you mentioned the Olympics earlier. Yeah. What's been your most – I don't want to say exciting, but maybe your most gratifying broadcast. Sure. Wow. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you the, um, the answer to that and then the, the, over, the overarching thought on it. The most gratifying broadcast was the third Monday Night Football game I did, mid-September 2006. I wish I would have known more about it at the time. I wish I would have had more experience to appreciate it at the time. It was the Falcons-New Orleans Saints Monday Night game. That was the reopening of the Superdome. Right. And Steve Gleason blocked the punt after Michael Vick and the Falcons went three and out. And Curtis Deloach, special teamer, used to play with the Giants, scooped it up and scored a touchdown for the Saints. And I said touchdown New Orleans because it was a New Orleans event. Right. 54 weeks before that, John, the Superdome was a place that was housing people who were trying to survive. Uh, it's with a, Hurricane amazing. Katrina. And they rebuilt the stadium. They rebuilt a lot of the city. And that was the symbolic moment that New Orleans told the world, because it is a global city, that we're back and open for business. Yeah. And John, it it struck me then that although football is the toy department relative to things that are going on in the real world, that sports matter in communities. Nothing, nothing brings Ann Arbor, Michigan to a spotlight like a Michigan football Saturday. Uh, and we have people who, I say we because there are neighbors living here now, uh, we, we have friends and people who are here who do the greatest research on things that keep people alive and discovering things in our, in our solar system. And you name it. We know all the, all the brilliant Michigan people out there. But nothing puts a spotlight on Ann Arbor like a football game. Yeah. And sports matters to the world, even if you don't appreciate the nuances of it. And that night taught me that it's okay to be living in the toy department here because we do more than – uh, just fun and games. It can uh, impact change and um, bond people's lives. For me, the big overarching thing, doing the Olympics, there's no comparison to be the primetime host. Blessed yeah. to have done that uh, in South Korea this past winter. Uh, greatest professional accomplishment of my life. Ten years doing Monday Night Football. Um, you say Monday Night Football, you don't have to explain what you do for a living, no matter <laughs> your exactly love, right. or, love of football or not. Uh, those are those are the headlines of my career. My true passion, true, true, deep down passion, is calling football games because uh -huh. it's an open book, three and a half hour exam uh, that you study all week for, and it's pass fail in front of America. It's an oral exam, uh, and everybody's waiting for you to screw up. And uh, especially college football, when I got to do college hoops here for a bunch, college sports has a college sports is no longer pure, but it still has a purity about right, yeah, it right. at its core and at its essence. You know, 85%, 90% of the kids are not getting a handout. They're going to get a degree that maybe they otherwise wouldn't. They're having a bonding experience for their life. Look at you. Yeah. You're Michigan football, man. That These four years here made you into who you are. Shaped my whole life. Every day. What right? I'm doing now. You yeah. talk to anybody. That college football experience does it. And I know we got problems with the sport at the money level when Alabama's putting $600 million into their facility. I know we have problems with concussions and the other things trying to make the sport safe. Um, but to be around it and what kind of gets my blood going, as you can tell, um, is, is being on campus on a Saturday 
watching the school come back together and uh, watching a bunch of kids try really hard. Well, before we let Mike Tirico go, um, you talked about the preparation and the open book test. Do you, if this game comes down to a Desmond Howard type catch <laughs> or a Roy Roundtree with two seconds left in the corner, that's right, or yeah. Remy Hamilton, if it comes down to that, is that something that you practice ahead of time, that call, or it's a great question. Is it? Just natural. It's it's a great question. I think uh, I think it's like anything else that you want to succeed in life, uh, professionally. You try to go through the scenario in your head, but I don't have like a list of nine things saying, okay, if uh, if uh, uh, who can I pick if here? Shea Patterson. I was, was going to say, but let's say Donovan Peoples Jones catches the touchdown in one corner, and then Chase Claypool comes back, catches in the other corner, and sends us yeah. to overtime. I don't have like a, a Rolodex there. Go, oh, okay, where's the? What am I going to say when Chase Claypool <laughs> scores this? You know what the moment's about. Know what built up to that moment, and then I just rely on muscle memory at the, yeah. at this point. Uh, the most memorable things you say are the things you never plan to say, but they are authentic and they speak to the moment. So uh, I think you always go through in your mind, okay, um, you know, if there's a game-winning field goal on the line, who's kicked the game-winning field goals in the history of the Michigan-Notre Dame series? And you just you may want to throw out for the fan that's watching who remembers Remy Hamilton, like you said. Uh, you know, Notre Dame has had Reggie Ho kick right. many famous kicks for them back in the day. You may want to throw that name out so you know that the guy watching at home who's a domer or who's a amazing blue guy is like, okay, this guy's, this guy's with me. He knows what he's talking about. You know, the round tree catch, like you said, with two yeah. seconds left, an um, unbelievable finish. Um, th- those, kind of, those kind of plays, you just want to have those in your reservoir of memory. And if, it, if it's right at the moment, great. If not, the best thing you can do is say something and stop. And just let the building, the emotion, the crowd take care of it. Uh, no, nobody's coming to watch me or Doug Flutie or our sideline reporter, Catherine Tappan, uh, do our job. They're coming to watch the kids play ball. If we can enhance their enjoyment of it as the, as the day goes on, night goes on, then, then we, go back, we go back, grab a cold one, and say, you know what, we, we did all right today. And that's, that's how we get graded. As opposed to you guys who got graded by some <laughs> yeah. offensive line coach losing his voice. Jansen, what were you doing on that yeah, play? Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I heard that too much. But uh, <laughs> nah, not 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 much. It was awesome to watch you play, man. I'm, I'm really glad it. that you're back home. There's uh, what you learn when you live in a place like this, or you get to cover Notre Dame and South Bend, or Syracuse has a basketball pedigree of this generation compared to our football of Ernie Davis, Larry Zonka, Floyd Little, mm-hmm. and all back in the '50s and early '60s. Jim Brown, of course. What what you learn is. There are certain fits in places, you know, and Michigan football is one of those like 25 or 30 gold standards. And uh, to be around and see how many Michigan football guys come back and remains part of their life is really cool to see. That's why seeing somebody who was great in the pro level and you know, can live anywhere you want, but you're back home is fun to see. Well, there's a there's a big difference between college sports and, and pro sports and and. Everybody picks one or the other, or, or you know, you can like both. But for me, it's always been the. It's hard to say it because we know it's not 100 percent true, but the purity, yeah, of, of college football absolutely. and college athletics has been has been fun. So, I appreciate your time. Thanks, man. And when people listen to this, I'm sure I will get feedback that hey, you you use this as a way to. <laughs> 
better my own self because I've learned so much in oh, listening stop. to you, and I sure appreciate it. And, Anytime, uh, man. Anytime for, to, to help the good guys. You guys help us along the way. You know, the people who are always great, honest interviews, you appreciate and you want to, you know, you want to pay it back and pay it forward all at the same time. So anytime, keep kicking butt with those two uh, old guys that you work with, right? <laughs> yeah. who, are, who are just great. What, 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 a, what a treat. You just gave me my first soundbite <laughs> of, of the tailgate show. <laughs> what, 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 what a treat to be around Brandy and Dan. I mean, nothing, nothing speaks. Look, think about Michigan football. What's Michigan football all about? You think Michigan football is not about linemen? Yeah. Look at your broadcast crew. Right? <laughs> no, three offensive tackles. Who, who else is rolling up with three offensive linemen saying, let's yeah. go, let's, let's bring it on. So it's great great to visit with you. Go blue, go orange, go Irish all at once and figure out, figure out all of them. I'm 33% of all three for the, for the first weekend. Well, September 1, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. That's right. Thanks, Thanks John. a lot. My pleasure. I want to give a big thanks to Mr. Tarico for stopping by and sharing some time with us. Uh, now this is one of my favorite opportunities to answer some of the questions, and we're finally talking about real games. Brian, what do we got? Yeah, Kirby on Twitter, John. Besides wide receiver after the Tariq Black injury, what position group can most ill afford to lose any players at this point? Well, you know, any injuries are such a, a factor in, in what – the success of a team, and, and not just in one game, but over a 12-game period. And, and I think if, if we're going to be successful, um, we cannot have any injuries up front. And I know I've been talking about the offensive line, and everybody's tired of talking about it. If we could just have, you know, 15 guys that we could put up there and just say, hey, you know, one guy goes down with a stub toe, let's put another one in there, and he's just as good, that would be great. But – the thing about injuries on the offensive line is as soon as you put another guy in, he may be as good as the guy in front of him, but it messes with that chemistry. And anytime these five guys have to always be doing the same thing, be on the same page, moving in the same direction, and have the same goal all the time, and anytime you have a, a guy that goes down, whether it's for a play, a series, there's, there's something you're missing. And, you know, you could plug guys in, in and out of the D-line because they're in and out all the time. Different packages, different, you know, three down, four down, two down. Um, you know, linebackers, same thing. You know, on the defense, there's always guys coming in and out. Offensively, it's the same thing. Wide receiver, you're coming in and out. Running backs, quarterback is always going to be in there. But on the offensive line, those guys are there 70 to 80 plays a game playing together, and they always have to be on the same page. So I would – I would be. I'm not. I'm not going to say I'm going to be concerned, but I would. I would be disappointed if we have to make a change up front. JT on Twitter to that point. Do you feel the changes of the coaching staff, another year of maturity to what was an, a young offensive line last year, and a mobile quarterback in Shea Patterson? Will that all be enough to propel this offensive line to the next level? We've gotten this question a lot over the the start of this podcast, John. But now we're on the eve of the college football season. Is this offensive line ready for game time? That's what a lot of fans want to know. I, I believe they are. Um, and when I talk to the guys, they, they, they walk around not with an arrogance or not with a, a swagger, but with a confidence that, that they have the tools to go out there and be successful. Ed Warner, the new offensive line coach, um, has done a great job of, of you know, I, I get asked the other question, did they simplify the offense for the offensive line? No, they didn't simplify it. These guys have just been explained 
why they're doing things, the importance of landmarks, where they put their hat, where they put their hands, where they step, the, you know, the first, second step, all of those things are so important um, into the success of an offensive line. And Ed Warner has done a great job of making those things habit for this offensive line. And when those things are habit and you stop, you're not worried about your steps or your punch or, your, or where you're putting your hat anymore, now all of a sudden the game slows down. And instead of only being concerned about the guy ahead in front of you, you're starting to look about where the linebackers are, where the safeties are, are they moving over? Is that corner coming up? What's, is that linebacker on the ball? Because those all mean things to an offensive lineman. When the linebacker comes up on the end of the line of scrimmage or any guy, you know that the defensive line is probably going to cross your face. So that affects your steps. And if you understand that and you anticipate that, then all of a sudden you, you know, the game slows down and you can be much more aggressive and successful and the offensive line position. And that's what I – those are the things that I'm seeing from our line. Now it's a matter of hitting prime time, hitting game time, and going out there and doing it. Frank via email. How are special teams looking? That's not often talked about, but it can decide games, as you know, John. Well, yeah, I think when you, when you take a look at our, our special teams, uh, Quinn Nordeen, um, Brad Robbins, we've got guys that have been there, done that, um, and, you know, just the other night I was talking to one of the M clubs and they asked me about, was there, was there a, 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 you know, was I worried about our punter or our kicker? I worry about these guys all the time and not that they're not going to do a great job, but when you are standing on the sidelines, just imagine standing at the game and, and I stand there for, for three hours and all of a sudden they say, Hey Jansen, get in there. We want you to kick something. And all of a sudden you're like, what? I mean, these guys have to be unbelievably focused every second of the game, just as focused as everybody else, because when they go in there, they get one shot. And like I said, an offensive lineman may get 70 to 80 plays a game. If I mess up on one play, I still have a great grade. A kicker goes in there, maybe he's got three or four kicks a game. If he misses one out of four, he's down to 75% already. So that's where these guys, I think they're mentally tough. I think they've, they've had areas over the last couple of years where they've, they're, they're going to use those as learning experiences. So I'm a very excited to see our special teams, and not just our, our kickers and punters, but our returners. We've got, we've got speed coming out our ears, and, and this is going to be fun to watch. And I'm excited. I hope we, I hope we get the ball um, on the kickoff because I want to see who's, who they're going to put back there, who's going to be the returner, and, uh, and it's going to be lights out. How exactly does an ear – Amit speed, John? <laughs> we got it coming out of everywhere. That's just the only hole of the body that I could talk about in this podcast. <laughs> uh, uh, back to the point about kickers. I, I remember Remy Hamilton talked about going into that Notre Dame game when, when he had the game-winning kick. He didn't know if he was going to be the starter. And, and, it's, and so at Michigan, at a lot of programs, but I, I know this to be true at Michigan, when your number is called and you have an opportunity, you, that may be the only opportunity you get. And if you come through on it, all of a sudden you earn the right to have another opportunity. And the, you know, then number two comes, you, you, you come through on that. And each snap, each time you're on the field is an opportunity. Remy Hamilton had a great opportunity. He took care of that opportunity and was successful. And it led to uh, not only success in that kick, but that, that whole football season. And then he had a chance to play in the NFL for a little while. Slippery Pete on Twitter. If you were to pick an all-time Wolverine team, 
Who would be your very first pick? He says his would be Denard Robinson. Boy, my number one pick. Um, you, you know, I, I, I'd have to – I'd actually – I'd want to pick Tom Harmon, um, our first Heisman Trophy winner. And I'd want to pick him because he was – you know, back in that day, it wasn't just, you know, he's a running back or a fullback. He, you know, he punted, he kicked, he played defense, he did it all. And, and first and, – and then – Second, I just want to I just want to meet the guy. I'd, I'd love to have the opportunity to meet him and talk to him and, and get his take on the history of Michigan football and and talk to him about football from from when he played and uh, and see how the game is different and and you know everybody they look to the past and, and everything is glorified but it was in my opinion one of the greatest eras of football because those guys played because they loved the game of football they they enjoyed the struggle how long would you have to go in that before you would pick yourself uh number two number two (laughs) (laughs) if i'm handing the ball off to him i gotta have somebody to block it so i'll I'll take that responsibility uh john jansen humble no question Uh, (laughs) finally uh via text from a 309 area code that's in illinois what is one play that, come hell or high water, Michigan can run to gain three yards when they need it most? I have not clarified or guaranteed that this is not Lovey Smith or Pat Fitzgerald texting to ask this. So I'm not asking you to give us the X's and O's, but how do teams go about going through a, a, the practice of their their money plays, their the plays that they feel most successful with? Well, Ed, that's a tough question to answer, and, and I don't know that I necessarily have a great answer for, for our texter because each team is going to have a different identity, and that's what you've got to figure out when you get into that first game. What's our identity going to be? Is it going to be that we need to get to the edge to get three yards? And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And Or is it going to be we can open up a hole right between the center and guard, and we can take our running back and shove him right up in there and get three yards? That's a great identity to have. That's the one I prefer. But until we get out there and we figure out what is our offense going to be good at, what do they excel at, what are these guys going to be, uh, what are we going to hang our hat on, you won't know that until you hit the field. We'll have an idea, um, and I love the counter. I love watching these guys run between the tackles, but we've got a special group of running backs. When you look at Chris Evans, Karan Higdon, True Wilson, uh, and all the other guys that are in there, they have they have speed, they have elusiveness, and they're a little bit bigger this year. So I do believe between the tackles is going to be much more productive than it has been in the past years. But we have the ability to get on the edge and make people miss and just flat out outrun people. Ninety-seven team. What was your favorite play? Do you remember? Oh, heck yeah, I remember driving Plymouth. Drive was to the right, Plymouth to the left. You, uh, you, it was, it was a counter play. And back then, it used to pull both guard and tackle. And I remember in '95, no, it was '96. We're down in Columbus, and we had six, six and a half minutes left on the clock, and we ran drive and Plymouth. And when we ran Plymouth, I got a chance to pull around and block big old stud Andy Katzenmoyer. And when I pulled around, I saw that hit Boa's neck and it was, you know, helmet to helmet. It was, it was man on man. Those were the plays that I loved the most. And, you know, that was also the play drive to the right um, that we would run uh, in the second half against Iowa. And, uh, and Jared DeVries was our defensive tackle and, and everybody in the world 
knew exactly what we were going to do. And he, he, he would call out, hey, they're coming, they're, they're running right here. And it made it maybe have a big smile on my face because they knew it and couldn't stop it. Well, that being said, you're sufficiently pumped up. What are you wearing on Saturday? Oh, I tell you what, I, I, I just hope I get everything on right. I mean, I'm so excited. I could, I might have my shirt on backwards. Uh, you know, I just want to make sure my fly zipped up. And um, it's, it's, it's one of those things where um, I can't reveal game plan. I can't reveal roster. I can't reveal attire. That's a, that's a game time decision. And, and Brian, you're going to have to wait. I'm going to have to describe it to you when I get there. Oh, can't wait. Can't wait. We can reveal this uh, every Saturday after the game. We're going to have a special edition of In the Trenches. You'll get John Jansen's thoughts on the game. Some of the guys, Jim Brandsatter, Dan Deardorff, players, head coach Jim Harbaugh, will have that podcast dropping a few hours after each game. Uh, that will be on this same podcast, In the Trenches. Really excited about that, John. Can't wait to get going. Uh, it's here, man. It's here. It is. It's game week. It is, you know, Wednesday. And I, I tell you what, when you start to get later in the week and you're going through what you do during the season and Tuesday and Wednesday are physical days. Thursday, you, you, you start to gear it back a little bit. Maybe your shoulder pads and shorts. Friday, walk through, travel to the to wherever you're going or the team hotel. And, you know, that that's when it really gets to be fun. When you get to that team hotel and you know you're there to do something special, you eat your team meal, you watch your movie, and it's just the guys. There's no distractions. There's no cell phones. There's no girlfriends. There's no class. There's no mommy and daddies to tuck you in at night. It is just your team. And when you go to bed, you wake up in the morning, you wake up and you look around and it's your team. When you get on the bus, it's your team. When you get to the stadium, it's your team. When you take the field, it's your team. And when you sing the victors at the end of beating Notre Dame, it's your team. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of In the Trenches with John Jansen. In the Trenches with John Jansen is an exclusive presentation of IMG, America's home for college sports. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.